from San Francisco, California with Ben Kaspik and Adam Petke. This is Covecast Audio. Welcome back to Covecast. It is Thursday, July 20th, 2017. The Giants just finished up a three-game series against the Cleveland Indians in which they lost the first game, but then won the next two and won two out of three against the defending American League champion Cleveland Indians. Uh, You know, of course, it was just one series, and the Giants still are in a uh, probably insurmountable hole in 2017 in terms of their chances of doing anything, making the playoffs, let alone like winning the World Series. So... Even with winning the two out of three, the Giants stand now at 37 wins, 59 losses. They're 29 and a half games behind the Dodgers, who won their 11th straight game last night against the White Sox. Uh, And so as such, the Giants' chances of winning the division, according to Fangraphs, are of course still 0%. And moving over to the wild card, the Giants are 18 games back behind the second wildcard team, which is currently the Diamondbacks, who have a half-game lead. Excuse me. The Rockies have a half-game lead over them, over the Diamondbacks. So the Giants are 18 back in the wildcard, and their chances, according to Fangraphs, of making a wildcard spot 0.0% to one decimal place. So what does it mean? It means that these games don't really matter, so it's <clears throat> it's an interesting thing to come on and do the podcast and talk about the Giants without really needing to get into the games too much because they don't necessarily matter, which we're not used to. It's been a long time since in July there you're already playing meaningless games. It has been probably almost 10 years. It's been since maybe 2008. You know, 2013 being the one exception, but even then, they at the deadline, the trading deadline, which was you know around this time of year, the team didn't do anything, and that had a lot to do with saying they're gonna take a shot at it. They're gonna see if this group can turn it around in the second half. So even then, there was optimism for the future, but this time around, there doesn't appear to be any of that, and we have some quotes that hopefully I remember to talk about from general manager Bobby Evans and then Brian Sabian, the former general manager for all those many years, who's now been promoted. Um, His exact title is escaping me, but he is still in charge, as he says, of quality control throughout the organization, particularly on the field and in, you know, what the fans are seeing basically. And so he takes full responsibility for this bad product that the Giants are putting out there on a daily basis. So before we get too into this series and the upcoming deadline and some other key pieces of information to to get into today, I just want to remind everyone, as I have done every week now for a couple of weeks, that the podcast is leaving SoundCloud. So if that's where you are subscribing and you are a fan, and you're confused about how to continue listening, you can always just go to www.covecast.net the day after every single series uh, around 
early afternoon time and they will be uploaded there. And if you are more tech savvy, and maybe this isn't even tech savvy and I'm just behind the curve here, but if you're into podcasts, you know that there's a number of places you can go to subscribe to different podcasts and this one will be in all those places and it already is. It's on iTunes. It's on, uh, what are the other ones? It's on Google Play. It's on Stitcher. Uh, Wherever else you get your podcast, it should be there. And if it's not, leave me a comment, whether it's on my website, www.covecast.net or wherever uh, you're listening to this. Leave a comment. I do see all of those comments and I appreciate when people do have something to say. So yeah. I have a subscription with SoundCloud for the next like week or so. So this one will go up there. Probably the next one will go up there. But then after that, no more SoundCloud. So that's just the way it is for now. Moving on, the Giants. Let's see. They won two out of three. How did they do it? They lost the first game. I'm forgetting exactly the details. Oh, yeah. They had a lead, right? They, they, that was Josh Tomlin. So the Giants, they took a two, a three to one lead and then they gave it up. Oh, that was Matt Moore making the throwing error. He, he got a little comebacker ground ball and he, with two outs and he flipped it underhand over the first baseman's head and it rolled down the line and a run. I don't know if a run scored on the play. I think it did. And then that that runner who reached on the error also ended up scoring in the inning. So it went from three to one to three to three. And then in the next inning, there was another error on a bunt by Brandon Geyer. He bunted it to first base and Jay Huang was playing first base because Brandon Belt had a sore sprained wrist or something. And so Huang is a little inexperienced there. And it looked like on that bunt, he was playing back at first, even though Geyer had showed bunt on the first pitch. So he, he didn't really adjust and crash in enough, maybe cheat in a little bit and play even with the bag or even in front of the bag. And Geyer bunted it at first base, even though he's a right-handed batter. So push bunt and Huang fielded it late and Geyer was putting all kinds of pressure on the play running fast up the line. And so Huang had to spin and throw to first in a hurry. And he, he pulled it a little too much and it got by panic and went down the line and a run scored. So that's three runs that the giants threw in. And that's funny, you know, Flannery and the guys on the post game show, they love to talk about the RTI, the runs thrown in. And normally that's how the giants have won a lot of games in the recent past. But Uh, In game one of this series, it was the Indians doing it to the Giants. So they shot themselves in the foot. And then in the ninth inning, with the Giants down a run, the pitcher, the pitchers were George Contos and Josh Osich. So Contos came in to start the ninth inning. And what did he do? He, the first batter lined out, second batter singled, Third batter walked. He struck out Brad Zimmer with runners on first and second, but then Francisco Lindor singled the center, and it brought in another run. And so the point I wanted to make about that is that when you're down just a run to the Indians of all teams who have an elite closer and an elite setup guy 
in Andrew Miller and uh, Cody Allen, when you're down a run in the ninth inning, that's almost as high leverage as a tie game or being up a run. Like you just cannot afford to give up another run, especially against those elite bullpen arms, you know, you're going to face in the bottom half of the inning. And so my question to the giants is, is George Contos really, really the best reliever we have on the team or the, the best guy remaining? Was he the best guy remaining at that point? And I would say probably not. And if he is, then they need massive help in the bullpen, which they do. And I've said a number of times in the recent weeks that George Contos actually has an improved like arsenal this year. Looking at his numbers, he's improved dramatically, I think, in his chase rate and contact rate. Batters are chasing more and making contact less. But that being said, it was just a stark contrast in a one-run game in the eighth inning in game one of this series, the uh, Indians up a run. They, on TV, showed the two bullpens, and getting loose for the Indians was Andrew Miller, and getting loose for the Giants was George Contos. And if there's a mismatch, that's it. (laughs) It doesn't get more mismatched than that. I guess, you know, Contos has been consistently pretty good at preventing runs, actually. But Andrew Miller is a dynamite, dynamic, dominant relief pitcher. And the Giants don't have that. And really good teams have that. And they never had it. And it's like, you can say, oh, yeah, well, they're whatever, 20 plus games under 500 now they don't need a guy like that and you're right if they had a guy like that they should probably trade him this year but the point is they never have targeted a guy like that and they never have prioritized a guy like that and that's why it's one reason why they're in the position that they're in today july 20th with zero percent playoff odds and it's been that way for like a month so i don't know if they know that or see that or even think about that, that they have such a disadvantage there. But they do. And so not only is the do they have a personnel advantage, but then the way Bruce Bochy elects to use these guys, he he doesn't he doesn't prioritize, you know, if, if the Giants are losing, you almost will never see the, the closer in the game. And even to have a closer is not necessarily a foregone conclusion. Like it's a made up thing. And I don't know. He, he obviously loves Contos, but you know, you can't afford to give up a run there. And the thing is, you know, Contos, yes, he's been decent at run prevention, if not pretty darn good actually as a giant, but they're going to put it in play most of the time. And with a guy like Miller and Allen, what they offer is the strikeout. And I might sound like a broken record for anyone who listens regularly. I'm always harping on the strikeout, but it's so true. And, you know, that's what Francisco Lindor did in the ninth inning there is he just put the ball in play and it snuck through on a ground ball up the middle. Whereas in the ninth inning, 
was it the ninth inning? No, it was the next day. The next day, fast forward to the next day, the Giants, it was a tie game in the late innings. I'm going to find out exactly what inning I'm referring to. So anyway, Andrew Miller pitched in this tie game. He pitched the eighth and got an out in the ninth. And then Cody Allen, their closer, came in. So the Indians went to their closer in a tie game on the road. And they had already used Andrew Miller. So this goes totally against the old school mentality that the Giants employ, that Bruce Bochy is a big believer in, that you save your closer for some hypothetical possible lead in extra innings and you don't use him in the ninth even when the home team in a tie game is mounting a rally and if they score you lose so the indians not buying into that nonsense that you have to save this guy for this lead that may never come they went to miller and allen to try to put out the fire right then and there as it was happening so in the ninth uh Andrew Miller came in, you know, he had pitched the eighth and he walked Brandon Belt to lead off the ninth. And he walked Buster Posey right after that. So it was first and second no outs with Brandon Crawford up. So they, they left Andrew Miller in, in his second inning, mind you, to, to go after Brandon Crawford. He fell behind, I think, three and one, but then threw a strike and then got Brandon Crawford to fly out on the three-two pitch. Lefty on lefty. So that's why you leave him in. And then... First and second, one out, they don't go to their George Contos or their Corey Guerin. No, they go to Cody Allen, their closer, because the game is on the line. And forget the title closer. They go to, you know, Andrew Miller's probably their best guy, but they go to their next best guy, their best righty, to go after Hunter Pence. And what does he do? He hits a soft tapper in front of the plate and reaches so it's like a single but really it's unlucky for the indians and then joe panic comes up and this is why you have cody allen in the game because you need a strikeout the bases are loaded there's one out and it's a tie game in the bottom of the ninth if the giants score the game ends and who do you want out there if you're the indians your best guy because the game is on the line right then and there imagine thinking Nope, we're going to use not our best guy because if somehow we can get out of this situation and then we go to extra innings and then we take the lead and it happens to be a close lead, we don't score a ton of runs, and then the bottom of that extra inning comes around, then we want to use our best guy to finish off that game. That doesn't make any sense at all. There's no... It's extremely maddening that in this day and age, teams still do that and that the team that we watch on a nightly basis still does this. But the Indians do not. And so Joe Panic is up with a chance to win the game and Joe Panic does not strike out a lot. So it's a rather difficult, you know, if you're Cody Allen, you're basically hoping for a ground ball right at someone and get a double play. I don't remember if the infield was in or not. They probably were, but... He ends up striking out Joe Panic and then getting Gorky's Hernandez to fly out to right field. So it completely pays off for the Indians. And I was sitting there watching that game and asking, 
if this is the Giants, if the tables are turned and the Giants are in Cleveland or whatever, let's say Melanson is healthy. There's like a 0% chance that they would have brought in Melanson. Let's say he's healthy and really good. Or let's say it's the current roster. They don't bring in Sam Dyson there. They're saving him. And we saw it with the Orioles in the wildcard game last, last fall. They had Zach Britton, like the most dominant closer of the year and a great pitcher. And they never used him in that game in which they lost that went extra innings. You know, there were several times they could have used him, including, you know, the fact that they hadn't used him yet, including in that last inning, I think it was first and second, no outs for Edwin Encarnacion. Like, the game is on the line. You're really saving him for the idea that you might escape that inning and then get a lead and then need to to save the game? No, the game needs saving right now. How obvious is that? So that was a stark contrast. And to me, you you have to change that. You cannot, you cannot play that way. And this is reminding me, before I forget, the Giants also won game three, and we'll talk about that hopefully in a second. But after the game, the beat writers love to post these stories and write these tweets about the sentimental things that the players say about wanting to stick together and all this nonsense. And it was, I think, Hank Shulman, and he tweeted out that Matt Cain made a plea to Brian Sabian to keep this group together. They want to stay together. And I responded to that by saying that's exactly the type of sentimental, non-critical thinking that the Giants need to avoid and the type of thinking that got them into this situation that they're in. And, you know, Matt Cain, of all people, he's going to be gone. There's no way that they're bringing him back. So it's interesting that he is pleading that they keep this group together. And what it specifically reminded me of was, I think it was last year, it might have been two years ago, when the Dodgers traded A.J. Ellis, who was Clayton Kershaw's personal catcher. And late in the year, might have been right at the deadline, I don't remember exactly when it was, the Dodgers traded him, and he was a clubhouse favorite, and there were tears shed, and there was anger in the clubhouse. And they, they traded him for uh, for Carlos Ruiz, so it was like not even a really necessary move. They got a marginal upgrade. And what Ruiz represented was, I think, good defense and an ability to crush to do really well against left-handed pitching. And I'm not sure, but I think maybe Yasmani Grandal, their everyday catcher, I think he's weaker against lefties and stronger against righties. So it was to shore up a matchup issue because they're smart about matchups. They don't throw out their problematic, you know, matchups, especially in a playoff series or something like that. They needed a guy who could catch and be a force against lefties. And again, tears, anger. Analysts were like, this this doesn't make any sense at all. He's an important piece of that clubhouse, blah, blah, blah. And yes, I get the human element. I mean, they're sad, they're angry, that's all fine. And I lost my train of thought exactly where I was going with that point. But the point is, Look at where the Dodgers are now and look at where they were then. They, they 
certainly made the playoffs. They had no problem winning the division that year, whatever year it was, whether it was last year or this year, or excuse me, or two years ago. And right now, they have the best record in baseball. They've won 11 straight games. They're on pace, not even on pace. They're projected by fan graphs to win 107.6 games. They're 66 and 29. That's nearly a 70% win rate. And they have 21% odds to win the World Series. 21 and a half to be more specific. So I just am not understanding the sentimental aspect. And I'm thinking, man, if the Giants were in charge of the Dodgers roster over the last seven, eight years, this would still be a team that had Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier, Jeff Kent. No, I'm just kidding. Not Jeff Kent. Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier, James Loney. Like they would have just stuck with these guys through thick and thin and they'd be aging and not very good anymore. And, you know, AJ Ellis, they'd have, they would have maybe overextended for Zach Greinke and they just keep that group together. Whereas the ruthless Dodgers front office recognized that Matt Kemp was a liability in the field, pulled off a massive heist by getting Yasmani Grandal for Kemp, who has almost no value, even when he hits well, because he's such a terrible defender. They got a great catcher out of that trade, and they cut Carl Crawford, who they had connections, you know, they had a big contract with. Adrian Gonzalez doesn't really play anymore because they recognized that they had a better young player, and they weren't afraid to push him out of playing time like the Giants would be. And just look at what it's done for the Dodgers roster. They're young, they're talented, they're the best team in baseball. And they're going to be for years to come. I mean, they're going to be the best team in the West, or at least the favorite, for years to come with the youth and the talent and the ruthless willingness to always do the right thing in terms of talent. They don't sacrifice talent on the field for some sort of sentimental desire to keep the keep the band together like Matt Kemp Andre Ethier James Loney AJ Ellis could all be having a great old time as Dodgers right now but they they might be in the basement like the Giants are but instead the Dodgers recognize who those players were and we're talking strictly business. I'm sure, I'm, I don't know, but maybe they're terrific human beings. But strictly from a talent standpoint, they, they decided to always improve and never settle for some sentimentality. And that's why they're 66 and 29 and the Giants are 37 and 59. The Giants are expected by Fangraphs to win 70 games this year and the Dodgers already have 66 wins. So the Dodgers could win just five games the rest of the season and still finish ahead of the Giants. <laughs> so, and yes, at this point in time, I sometimes realize I'm very critical right now, but it's important to remember that we need to give them credit for the fact that the Giants have won three championships since 2010. Of course, you all know that. And it hasn't been all bad. I think that they do some things that 
are unorthodox and they've worked, but maybe that has run out. I don't know what exactly is the cause. If their plan has worked so well in the past, why it's suddenly not working well. But I think it's certainly the riskier way to go, the way the Giants have done it. They have done it very unorthodox ways. And I think especially now with strikeouts out of the bullpen, more bullpen usage, less starting pitchers, you know, starters going five innings and the bullpen picking up the rest. And with the home run ball, which I noticed last week, the Giants have hit like 30 fewer home runs than they've allowed. That at least in large part explains why they're in the situation they're in. So as critical as I can be at times, I want to say that they deserve all kinds of credit for what they've done. And uh, they have the benefit of the doubt for me. And this just happens to be a really important trading deadline. And I think they will be aggressive. The quotes that I've seen from Evans and Sabian have indicated that they're, they recognize the situation they're in and that they're, they're planning on being as aggressive as they can because they can't go forward with the group that they have. And so it's kind of contrary speaking from the organization with like what Kane said and then what I've seen from the front office. And then I haven't read, I didn't want to read those stories about the giants wanting to keep the band together. So I didn't see exactly the quotes from Evans and Sabian about that. But what I did see was a couple of things from Evans and Sabian. So I'm going to talk about those now. Bobby Evans was on MLB Network Radio yesterday, and he said, quote, We can't go with what we have. We've got to make changes. This trading period may offer us some opportunities to look toward next year. So summing up what he said in that interview, he basically was indicating that they still have a lot of players who should hypothetically be in their prime with Bumgarner, Posey, Crawford, Belt, Panic. I think that's it. And that they're underperforming and that he's frustrated by that, but that they they plan on competing next year. They don't think they need to do a total rebuild. They want to just re retool and compete next year, which is what I've said all along. I think that they're capable of that, but how do they do that? Because they have to recognize that what they have now isn't working. And who do they have to trade in order to get better, dramatically better next year? I don't know. I think that's, I've gone, I've gone on the air several times and made the case that I think Brandon Belt makes the most sense to trade. I mean, I think he's a very good player which is why I think they should tra- potentially trade him because he is 30 and maybe you could get a first baseman back in a deal with if it's like to the Yankees, you ask for Greg Bird and a really good young uh, prospect in return. And for the Yankees, that solves their first base problem for years to come. And for the Giants, they get an intriguing first baseman and a young prospect. I think it could be a win-win. Now, the Yankees did acquire Todd Frazier from the White Sox along with David Robertson and Tommy Canely. But uh, Frazier is playing third base. And uh, what's his name? Chase Headley is moving over to first for now. So I don't think that's any kind of great solution. Uh, Todd Frazier is a 
not a very impactful hitter. He's roughly league average. Yes, he hits a lot of home runs, but he <clears throat> his uh, his numbers suggest that he's roughly a, a league average bat. And as a first baseman, running a weighted runs created plus of about 100 is not really getting it done. It's a big improvement over what the Yankees have seen so far this year, but it's nothing at all special. And Belt has the potential to be special with the Yankees. So I talk about it like it's a foregone conclusion. It's definitely not, but I I just don't see what else they can do. So Brian Sabian, on the other hand, had an interview with Andrew Baggerly of the Mercury News, San Jose Mercury. And he basically said what John Paul Morosi said in an MLB.com article a few weeks ago, or about a week ago, that everyone outside of Posey, Crawford, and Bumgarner is more or less available. And referring to Posey, Crawford, and Bumgarner, Sabian had what I thought was a fantastic quote. He said, those three animals are divine. (laughs) That's a great quote. Posey, Crawford, Bumgarner, divine animals. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. And, And going into next year, having those three guys and then maybe you know, having panic and you, you just need that one more, you need that youth and that promise. And I don't think Austin Slater is the guy. You need some real upside. You know, you need a Giancarlo Stanton. I don't think that's going to happen. He has this massive contract. But, you know, they need they need some young impact. And Stanton may not be that young anymore, but they certainly they can't go forward with what they have, and I think that w- they know that, we know that. So I can't believe I've gone this long, and I have not even mentioned that the Giants are reportedly going to uh, sign Pablo Sandoval to a minor league contract. The fact that I haven't even mentioned it yet I think is interesting because from what I've seen on Twitter, as soon as uh, as soon as this news broke, there was like outrage from a lot of fans, and I don't quite understand that. Maybe I just operate in a more, you know, like a less emotionally invested universe or something, because like I don't have the sentimentality. I don't feel for the players wanting to stick together. I want them to be ruthless and basically make business decisions in terms of the personnel and stuff. And that's not to say I don't care about the players and all that, but if you're <clears throat> if you're constructing a roster, just look what it's done for the Dodgers, look what it's done for the Giants. It's all about being the best team you can be. And for Sandoval, to me it represents a zero risk. I w- I don't want to call it high reward, but moderate reward possibility. They're going to pay him nothing. This is a guy who just, you know, a few years ago signed a $95 million contract. And the reports, though, I I should mention, the report is that he agreed to a minor league deal with the Giants, but no team is allowed to offer him a contract until he clears release waivers, which is a formality because he's owed so much money and he's been so terrible, there's there's a 0% chance that someone will claim him uh, during this period. But 
until he clears waivers there, he's not allowed to negotiate with any team. So the fact that this leaked probably says that maybe they do have an agreement, but the fact that now both sides are kind of denying it, saying he hasn't made a decision or whatever, is just because they're not allowed to have negotiated. But they probably did. They probably do have an agreement. It's not a guarantee, I suppose, until it's in writing between the two parties. But he's probably coming back and he'll go to the minor leagues with the Giants. And he's 31 Is he 31? No, he's 30. He'll be 31 in August. So he's almost 31. And he was awful with the Red Sox. But the thing is, the Giants will sign him for nothing. They'll owe him nothing. And he was, you know, he's not far removed from being a hugely important element of this Giants team. And people like to get wrapped up in the way he left the organization. I wasn't there. I wasn't I don't know him personally, so I don't know exactly what he did or said. There was some quote about, you know, he only is going to miss Hunter Pence and Bochy, something like that. But I'm sure it was taken out of context. Like, and he was upset about having to work out, having being forced to like go on the treadmill after games or something. I, that would upset me too if I didn't want to have to do that and, every time but you know he's a professional player and the Giants probably needed to do that otherwise he would get out of shape I don't know and I quite frankly don't care if he can be good then I mean he's 31 I don't know it's just there's no risk involved let's say he just figures something out and becomes the player he used to be then he might come up play a little with the Giants and maybe they could trade him for something useful I don't know I just don't see the harm in it. And he was a great giant. I mean, he he had everything to do with all three of those championships. I think maybe in 2010, he he like lost his regular playing time because he was so bad that year, which is actually looking at his numbers, he still had a 96 weighted runs created plus, and he was, quote, so bad. But the year before that, he had five wins above replacement, the year after that, 2011, 5.3 wins above replacement, 149 weighted runs created plus. 2.6 after that, 2 after that, 2.9, and then it's been a dreadful three seasons in Boston. Excuse, uh, wow, it's already been three seasons. Well, two and a half. But anyway, he was a great giant, and quite frankly, he's kind of like if they had his good bat in the lineup, that's kind of what they're missing right now is a switch hitter in the middle of the lineup. And I know he, he actually didn't never was nearly as good as a right-handed batter than he was as a left-handed batter against right-handed pitching. But his they need they don't have a good third baseman right now. Eduardo Nunez is average at best, and he'll probably be traded. To me, this says a lot that maybe Eduardo Nunez is about to be traded. Because he is an impending free agent. He's been linked to the Red Sox. That seems like almost a foregone conclusion. Just move him to the Red Sox for some mediocre, hopefully, you know, get the best prospect they can get. But the fact that J.D. Martinez, the, like, superstar hitter from the Tigers, got the Tigers got almost nothing in return for him, says don't expect a lot for Eduardo Nunez. I mean, Adalberto Mejia was the return when he had a— when Nunez had a year and a half of control left and Mejia was, you know, 
not a very good prospect. And he's he's on the Twins now. He's on the Twins now and not doing very well. But I don't know. He's one of the few guys they have that they can move, and I would be surprised if he didn't move in the next week, maybe even the next couple of days, because those rumors have been swirling. So anyway, Sandoval, he was like one. He was probably my favorite player for for a couple of years, for several years. He he had a, a great infectious personality, always smiling. Yes, he had weight problems, but really, who are we to ridicule a guy for having weight problems? I I personally don't think that's my place, and I don't care what he said. Like he, it's the it's the vicious media. I mean, he. I didn't hear him say something critical to me. I heard him say something a little bit odd about only missing Bochi and Pence or something like that. But who cares? I mean, maybe he was he was upset about the way he was treated. We don't know exactly what conversations took place. We don't know how maybe he was mistreated. Maybe they were pretty harsh with him. And he wanted to be free of that and he wanted to try something else. Big deal. I feel like any of us would do the same thing. I mean, not necessarily. Who knows? The point is, we don't know exactly what went on behind closed doors. And with negotiations, contract negotiations, maybe he wanted an extension before the season and the Giants weren't even willing to talk and they maybe talked about his weight as one of the reasons and it hurt his feelings because he was in great shape or something that year. I have no idea. But the point is now, instead of, paying him $95 million for five years or whatever the remaining two and a half years would have cost if they had, because they offered him, they wanted him back. They, they offered him that same contract and he just wanted something different, which is his right as a player who entered free agency. So instead of paying him $45 million over the next two and a half years or $47.5 like million, plus he had an option year, they owe him nothing, and maybe, just maybe, they could get some production out of him. And maybe they could turn that into a trade that gets some value. Who knows? Maybe not. The odds are no. He was really, really bad. His defense deteriorated. I haven't watched him. I haven't been able to see him much, but he was terrible with Boston. Terrible. So we shall see what becomes of this, whether he even joins the team or not. But I don't understand the disgust that many fans seem to have. You know, Sam Dyson is a similar guy. He was just terrible with his new team, and the Giants scooped him up, and he's been pretty good. So it happens, and that's the type of thing they need to be doing this season because they're obviously not in contention. So picking up these players who are no risk but have some upside, that's what they should be doing. So... I applaud the front office for this if it goes through. And then the next 11 days are really the big uh, evaluation period. Like they, they need to trade. They need to make some trades. I think making a big splash would be preferable. I think that this team needs a big splash kind of move. You can wait potentially until the off season, but I think it's a myth that teams are going to give up more in the offseason than they would in the season because what team is going to give up more for less of a player's playing time? 
like Brandon Belt to a contender represents an, a big upgrade for someone over what they have now for a stretch run and a playoff run. Like that has value. And then if you trade them in the offseason, you, you've that that's that opportunity is already gone and you have less years of control. He's six months older and he's just not quite as valuable as he was before. So I'd like to see them pull off something big and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did. So moving on to game three of the series, it was yesterday, the Giants and the Indians. The Giants, of course, won. They were losing Early, Matt Cain was the starter, and he went six innings, five strikeouts, two walks, three earned runs, five hits. Pretty typical. Surprise, he didn't give up a home run. He's no longer a good starter. Never will be. And let's see, of course, the first guy off the out of the pen for the Giants was George Contos. No surprise there. Got two strikeouts. Good for him. Corey Guerin. Pitched late in the game, of course. And I saw someone on Twitter or somewhere comment about how Garen was having a nice year. He has a 2.22 ERA, but the peripherals are so bad. He's walking way too many guys. Corey Garen. I think the projections are actually relatively kind to Garen. Eh, high threes ERA. But yes, he has a 2.22 ERA this year, but he is walking... 4.63 batters per nine innings, 12.2% of batters faced. And in his career, he walks 10% of batters faced, which is too many. And as such, his FIP is 403 and his XFIP is 496. Now he does, he has majorly limited home runs in his career. So you can, maybe the FIP is more realistic, the 403, because you're not going to expect him to have a normal home run rate against him as he's uh, he's gotten ground balls on 54% of balls in play against him but i don't know he's a decent reliever according to what i'm seeing here but i don't i don't they need some they need like look at what the yankees just did i applaud what the yankees just did they already had Aroldis Chapman, Dellen Batances, Chad Green who's been like a i think that's his name Chad Green he's a young guy, 26. This is just his second year in the majors, and he has a 37.5% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. ERA is 170, FIP 2.49, XFIP 3.11. So they already had a really good bullpen, and then they brought in David Robertson, who's very good, and Tommy Canely, who's been extremely good. So they literally have like five exceptional relievers and so they have kind of a weak starting rotation how do they address that how do they want to win games just have a you're not going to score on their bullpen if they're leading after five game over and they they did that before when they had Batances, miller and chapman and then they traded those guys away and got a bunch of youth and now they've done it again and reacquired that type of bullpen because they know they've seen from experience that that works so the Yankees have like five guys who are better than any one guy on the Giants. And I don't think in a losing year, 
that's when you really want to go for it and have a great bullpen. You should be trading away your best bullpen guys, and you should be able to get these guys rather easily. Like get a a, a decent bullpen. So to me, that's like the, the biggest area of questioning the front office is in the bullpen construction. They're a, They're not a great group. There's no question about that. They've gotten better. If Melanson is healthy, he's good. Sam Dyson is an, an interesting guy they got for nothing. And they have, you know, the youth is more intriguing than what they've had in the years past, i.e. last year, with Strickland, Okert, maybe Law if he ever comes back. But Strickland may be traded too, so who knows. Anyway, the Yankees, Boltman, that's the model. And you look at all these elite teams, they all have these dynamite relievers. Kenley Jansen with the Dodgers. Uh, the Indians with Andrew Miller. The Cubs with Wade Davis. The Astros with Ken Giles, Chris Davinsky. The Red Sox with Craig Kimbrell. The, I was going to say the Nationals, but they don't. And that's it was a big problem area for them. And they traded for Sean Doolittle, Ryan Madsen. And we'll see how that goes. I think they still want to get more guys. And the Mariners, Edwin Diaz. So you just need these dynamite strikeout relievers if you're going to be a really good team in 2017 and beyond. And the Giants, they ought to catch up. So anyway, they came back in this game. Buster Posey hit a late two-run double with two outs and two strikes, I think, in the eighth inning to give the Giants the lead. And then Sam Dyson had a dicey appearance in the bottom, excuse me, the top of the ninth in which he struck out the first batter but then allowed a single, a force out, a hit by pitch, a walk. So the bases were loaded up by a run with Jose Ramirez, very dangerous hitter at the plate. And then a 2-2 count, he got Ramirez to fly out. That was the game. The Giants won two out of three. And now they welcome in the Padres tonight for a four-game series. And then after that, they have another home series against the Pirates. Three games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, followed by an off day. Then they go to L.A. and then back for a home-and-home home with the A's. And then another one, two, three, four, eight-game homestand. That's counting the two games against the A's, followed by an off day. So this is their comfy stretch. Then they go on a quick six-game road trip that's far. It's Nationals and Marlins. Then they come home again. Then they get another off day. Then they have a nice, easy road trip to Arizona and San Diego. Then they're home again for only for four games. So I'm not going to get into the entire schedule right now. It almost doesn't matter. But what I'm looking for is the next 11 days or so, what are the Giants going to do in terms of making trades? I think Nunez is a foregone conclusion, most likely. It'd be interesting. The rest is really up in the air. There's been rumors uh, linking Jeff Samarja to a number of teams. There have been rumors about Matt Moore, Johnny Cueto, Hunter Strickland, a number of guys. And so I think whether it's Samarja or Moore or Belt or Panic, I think one of those, at least one of those four guys may go. And that'll be the surprise move because all four of those guys are locked up relatively long term. And so they're not exactly rentals, but I think the Giants recognize probably that they need to make a move 
somewhere, a, a rather dramatic move. And so I'm going to say right now that I think one of one or more of Samarja, Belt, Panic, or Matt Moore gets traded in the next 11 days. <clears throat> so there you have it. One more piece of news. Uh, the, the sellout streak at AT&T Park came to an end in, I think, game one against the Indians. 530 consecutive sellouts, quote-unquote sellouts. Uh, there's speculation or perhaps just truth that they embellished sometimes and that they actually didn't sell out all those games, but that's how it'll go down in history. 530 games. It's over. I'm kind of glad it's over. Get rid, get rid of that old era. I need, I need something new. I need turnover. I need change. And that starts with ending that stupid sellout streak and turning over the roster, maybe turning over personnel across the board in some key areas, whether it's management or uh, front office, whoever it may be, I need to see some change, whether either the guys who are there now need to change or somebody else needs to change it for them. Somebody else needs to come in and make those changes. So we shall see. This is a major, major time for this team, major defining moment for this front office. And we need to see that change now. And if we don't, then some real criticism is going to come out and we will know all those answers shortly here in the next couple of weeks. So thanks again for listening. We will be back if anything major breaks. And if not, uh, we will be back after the four-game set against the Padres. So that will be on Monday afternoon. And thanks so much for listening this time. Until then, we'll see you next time.